Thank you. I thought I died uh, <laughs> waiting to get up here. Um, gee, this is nice to see this great collection of folks. I had no idea this would be like it is, and it's a privilege to be here. I have no, if you'd have looked at me 40 years ago, you would never have bet that I would be in this group. I'm probably the only speaker that didn't go to college. I didn't go to college, by the way, on merit. <laughs> I deserve not to go to college. Uh, I was wondering what I would tell you about, and I think I'll just tell you a story about the past. I have no great concepts of achievement, and maybe in Q&A we'll have some. But I'll tell you a true story of what happened to me growing up that may tell you that you can overcome anything. If I could overcome things that happened in my childhood, you can overcome anything. This is a true story. I don't know how it works where you come from, but in New York City in the Brooklyn high school system, you went through junior high school through ninth grade, and then high school was 10th, 11th, and 12th. Junior high school was through ninth grade, high school was 10th, 11th, and 12th. We were in 9B4. 9B1 was A students. <laughs> 9B2 was B students. 9B3 was C students. 9B4 was, we're not sure. 9B5 were Neanderthals. Uh, somebody in 9B5 really liked me because I removed a thorn from his paw. I was very big with him. Anyway, we were 9B4, it was October. We we're going to graduate in June, and remember this important. After June, we go on to high school. So we're never going to see Bensonhurst Junior High School again. We were not, I, we weren't bad kids. We weren't the brightest kids in the world. We were kind of in between. We were not sure about what we really were going to be. Anyway, one day, Gil Mermelstein didn't come to school. We called him Gil Mappo because he had hair like a mop. He didn't come to school. So Braziabadi, who today is a brain surgeon, today, it's very important you consider how far these people went. Braziabadi today is a brain surgeon in Buffalo, New York. Herb Cohen, who wrote You Can Negotiate Anything on the New York Times bestseller list for over a year, Playboy magazine calls him the world's greatest negotiator, and myself go to Mappo's house to find out why Mappo did not come to school. All the shades are drawn. Sitting in front of Mappo's house is Mappo's cousin looking forlorn. We said, what's the matter? He said, Mappo got tuberculosis. Just discovered it. He and his mother and father have gone to Tucson, Arizona. His father just retired from business. I live in New Jersey. I'm staying overnight to tell the school that Mappo will never be back to school. It'll take a year to cure tuberculosis. By then, we're in high school. They can't leave him back, so it's done. He'll never see the school again. Mappo has no living relatives in New York City. I'm waiting to tell the school. Herbie said, why don't you go home? We'll tell the school. He says, would you do that for me? Yes. He leaves. We're walking down the street. I remember exactly where we were. I was here, Herbie in the middle, Brazi on the left, and Herbie says, I got a great idea to make money. We'll tell him Mappo died. We'll tell him Mappo died and we'll collect money for flowers. It's foolproof. It's foolproof because Mappo has no living relatives in New York City. The cousin is in New Jersey. The father and the mother have gone with Mappo to Tucson, and he'll never be back to the school again. It can't fail. We go in the next day, we bow our heads, we tell him we went to Mappo's house, he's dead. <laughs> the school called home. The phone said disconnected. We collected 65 bucks, went down to Nathan's, had hot dogs, Frankfurters had a great time, thought nothing of it. About a month later, the principal asked to see us. Well, we're walking down the hall, Brazzy's starting to cry. 
I'm all upset. Herbie saying, no problem. <laughs> Herbie the negotiator, no problem, I'll handle it. We go into the principal's office, we're expecting the worst, he's smiling. Now it's a big school, he doesn't know us from Adam. He says, sit down my young friends. What? We sit down. He says, well, let me tell you what's going on. High schools are famous because they play football and everybody knows about high schools, but junior high schools get no attention. The New York Times is holding a citywide contest. They want each junior high school to have a project and they'll salute the ones that are the best. We were trying to figure out what we could do. We had a faculty meeting, and at the meeting, one of the teachers told us how the three of you <laughs> raised money for flowers for your late friend, Gil Mermelstein. We looked up the records, and we found that Gil Mermelstein is the only student in the history of this school to die. Uh, <laughs> this is due to the unusual statistic that most 14-year-olds live. Anyway. So he says, what we're gonna have is a Gil Mermelstein Memorial Award. <laughs> God's honest truth. One week before graduation, we'll have an assembly, we'll honor the number one student in the school, we'll build a big, huge, you know, with a plaque in the, in the lobby, we'll give the winner a replica, and every year there will be a Gil Mermelstein Memorial Award, and we would like the three of you at the presentation of this award to sit on the stage with the first honoree. We should have told him. Uh, <laughs> to this day, to this day, Brazi says we should have told him, but we were caught up in the ego of the moment. I mean, we were three nudniks, and here we are being honored, and they're going to put us up on stage with the winner of the first award. I mean, it's a big deal. So here it is. Herbie says, you know, it's still foolproof. Uh, the high school is 10 miles away. Maybe they'll find out about it. We'll say we had the wrong information. Maybe there'll be a Gil Mermelstein Memorial Award. We'll laugh about this in years ahead. Let's forget about it. We'll get through it. We'll graduate. It'll be over. One week before graduation, the entire assembly is in the assembly hall. There's a big sign up. It's the Gil Mermelstein Memorial Assembly. The winner is on the stage, the first winner. Me and Herbie Ambrosia are sitting there, the principal speaking. That day, Mapo came back to school. <laughs> As, as Herbie says to this day, in the annals of tubercular history, this was medicine's finest moment. They cure Mapo. Okay. Mapo comes back into school. He's got two ways to enter. He comes back that day, gets there a little late. He's got two ways he could enter the auditorium. He went to school, he opened up, and they said, report to the auditorium special assembly. Nobody's in class. So he goes down to the assembly. Here's Mapo. He can go through the side, which is like Chinese kind of curtains. He doesn't choose that. He chooses two big brass doors, which lead right out onto 84th Street. All this happens in a flash. Mapo begins to open the brass doors. First thing he sees is a big banner. Gil Mermelstein Memorial Assembly. Mapo is not the brightest guy in the world. But he knows what memorial means, right? So he kind of freezes. The principal don't know Mapo from Adam. He continues to talk, right? The kids in the back of the rows, the last few rows, spot Mapo and they immediately know the whole story. Herbie, Brazi, and Larry Glondas for 65 bucks, Mapo's alive, right? Now the reason they knew the whole story in an instant is they're New York City kids. I wanna tell you something about New York City kids. I know we got some here. And we're kinda of gauche at times, but I'll tell you something. If you're a New York City kid, you're a step ahead. Just by growing up in New York. As I like to say, if you're a D student in New York, you're mayor of Des Moines. Yeah, you, you, could, you could phone it in. 
Idaho, you could run in a call once a month, right? New York City, forget. Anyway, they start to size it up. Herbie stands up on stage, God's honest truth, and yells, go home, Mapo, you're dead. <laughs> Mapo runs home. There's a panic in the audience. There's people throwing things up in the air. The principal's looking around, and one kid, typical New York kid, yells out, hey, Mr. Principal, this is a farce. Mapo is alive. So the principal looks at the three of us. He says, my office now. He storms out. The winner of the first Memorial Award is saying, do I get the award? Do I, what do I get? There's pandemonium, pandemonium in the assembly. New York Times guy's there with a photographer. Herbie says to him, come along with us. The New York Times guy is walking along with us. We're walking along, Brazzy and I are both in tears. My father had passed away. I'm in desperate tears. How's my mother gonna take this? Brazzy's crying. Herbie, no problem. <laughs> No problem, I'll handle it. We get into the principal's office. The New York Times guy is saying, you said the kid died? <laughs> anyway, we get into his office. The principal is beyond ticked. He's in, he's in a new world of tickville. He's in, he's in tickdom. You know what I mean? He's, his veins are popping and screaming. You, go down to the locker, take your books out, go home, you're suspended for life. Uh, I only can control you to 18 years old. I recommend Rikers Island, chop rocks. Get out of my sight, get out, get out, get out. Herbie says, you're making a big mistake. <laughs> Principal says, what are you talking about? He says, oh, we'll have a hearing. You know, there's an automatic hearing in the city of New York if you're suspended. We'll have a hearing and we'll be suspended. Three Nudnik kids come in and we said a kid died and we, you know, it's kind of a laugh and we'll be suspended. But someone on the school board, Mr. Principal, is gonna say to you, three kids came into school one day, said a kid was dead, you made one phone call, wrote disconnected, We'll be suspended. I don't think you'll ever be principal again in the city of New York. My suggestion is, why don't we forget the whole thing? It's a week before graduation, who cares, right? And then he turned to the New York Times guy, Herbie. He says, and you probably won't print it. <laughs> and the Times guy says, no, nah, it's more New York Post kind of story. Anyway. One week, the principal says, get out, he was defeated. Here's Herbie's chutzpah. That's what I love about Herbie. I hope you have this in life. It's a great Yiddish word. It's gall, but beyond gall. It's a step beyond gall. At graduation, we graduated by class, not alphabetically. And he gets to 9B4, and he's handing out the diplomas, and Gil Marmelstein's right in front of Herbie. And the principal says, Gil Marmelstein. Herbie pushed him aside and says, I'll take it, he's deceased. <laughs> and so, <laughs> if you can take this message home with you, <laughs> if you can learn that there is fortitude in life, stick to itiveness, if you know that I'm up here at this juncture, 40 years from that back then, you know anyone in this room can do anything they wish in life, because Gil Mapo is not dead. <laughs> and we're here. Any questions? I see I've overrun the time. Thank you. Hi. The lady. I'm Drew from San Francisco area, and thank you for that lesson in Moxie, but I'd like to ask you a question nice. about- Nice, smart ass Drew. <laughs> okay, Drew. That's new, no, I like that. A lesson in Moxie. I never heard that, okay. <laughs> but I'd like to uh, ask you something about luck. And um, 
the great French flutist Jean-Pierre Rampal's father always told him, luck comes to those who are ready for it. And I think about the disc jockey who quit story, and um, I was thinking, do you subscribe to this idea at all? Luck is a part of life. It's the old left turn, right turn. What if I turn left instead of turning right? Branch Rickey, the great baseball general manager, said luck is the residue of design. You make your own luck. Louis Neiser, the great lawyer, I asked him once, if you ever get lucky in law, he said yes at 4 a.m. in a law library. Uh, <laughs> Had that disc jockey not quit, I'd have gotten a job somewhere else. And I, if I were good, I'd have still made it. Nurse, I don't believe that you're a great broadcaster living in Mississippi and wanting to get out of Mississippi, but you can't. You can if you're a great broadcaster. Now, you may want to live in Mississippi, that's fine. But if you want to make it, you will make it if you're good. But luck plays a part. It's what you do with the luck. The lady. Standing here, sorry. <laughs> well, you're just standing there again, impaled into the wall. It's Mapo's cousin. Martha Stewart has a question. Oh. Where's Mapo? You know what Mapo's doing today, Ma? No. He, he's a cookie cutter. <laughs> and he does doilies. No, no. Mapo owns. <laughs> you. Did you. Mapo. Mapo, Mapo owns a string of laundromats, really true, laundromats in Miami, and people still go over to him and say, go home, Mapo, you're dead. Good. Thank you, Martha. I, I, I can tell my time is up, so I'll leave with the question I get asked most about is Marlon Brando, so I'll answer, you know, what was he like, what was it like, and I'll, I'll answer it quickly. Marlon Brando is the only male in my life to have ever kissed me on the lips. I, I was born heterosexual, I've lived that way all my life, and... So no male has ever kissed me on the lips. And I, you know, I, I mean, I hug my brother and I kiss friends, but never on the lips. And Marlon Brando, at the end of our first interview, kissed me flush on the lips. The only man to ever kiss me on the lips. And I have to be honest with you. I can't stop thinking about him. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs>